Welcome to the EMS Handout, your source for all things EMS. And now, let's welcome to the show your hosts, Bradley Dean, Eric McCullough, and David Blevins. Hello and welcome to the EMS Handoff Podcast. This is David, along with my co-host, Eric McCullough and Bradley Dean. We are your source for all things EMS. Tonight, we're going to get started again and... This time, we have no guests. It's just us three, so whatever we get into, we get into some great conversations when it's just us three. Uh, you know, We'll have to see where we go. Tonight's topic is going to be very interesting, timely, with a lot of stuff that's going on out there. But before we get started, we always like to check in with those co-hosts of mine. So Bradley Dean, North Carolina, living it up, traveling to New York, and uh, you know, big spinning out there. How's it going? Well, I, I will tell you, New York was great. Um, had a great time with uh, Jason and uh, Amy and some of the people up there. The uh, conference that they put on is awesome. I mean, even though we did it virtually, we had some people in attendance. So sorry we didn't have a show last week. I was late getting back, um, and my plane actually got delayed. I didn't get back till 1130 that night. And, you know, old guys like that, they have to get in bed and, you know, uh, get that beauty sleep. So, you know, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Eric McCullough over in Nashville, Murfreesboro, Middle Tennessee. What's going on, my friend? Oh, nothing much. I'm hating this warm weather. Um, This was supposed to be gone by now. And I've been fending off mosquitoes and, and spiders and stuff like that. And I was kind of hoping to enjoy some sort of autumn. I guess people will not be trekking to South Carolina or Knoxville for the fall colors anytime soon. We made our way through Gatlinburg today, and uh, there's some colors going on up there. I think, uh, you know, uh, Rhonda went to the football game yesterday with our son, and they were expecting that 70-degree temperature. And, you know, when there's about a 10-degree difference uh, going in the <laughs> upward direction, you know. But that was kind of neat, though. They had a uh, – it was Tennessee and South Carolina, and – they had a refueler from uh, our Tennessee unit here, and then they had a two ship of F-16s from South Carolina that came over and uh, did a flyover. It's kind of a uh, neat little joint uh, operation there. So, all right, before we get started, we always like to thank our podcast partner, the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. Jim's has been a great partner to the EMS handoff since we kicked off almost a year ago at this point in time. And we always like to kick people over to their website, gems.com, so they can check out all the great information that they have. And you can check out all of our previous episodes as well, as well as our fellow podcast hosts. Make sure to go over and check them out, check out all of our prior episodes and just see what Jim's has going on. They like to keep everybody up to date on all things changing in EMS. And also, we want to reach out to each one of our fans and say, hey, go by and check out the Pursuit Company and find our EMS handoff line of merchandise. The PursuitCo.com has our EMS gear from our original uh, logo to our Keep Back podcast line. They have everything that you need from short sleeve, long sleeve, and even hoodies as we hopefully get into some of that cooler weather soon. Here, Eric, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So, again, that's at thepursuitco.com. And I'm going to give one more shout-out to our friends. He's a prior guest 
but uh, Tyler and the the team at Foam Frat uh, coming through clutch as I started a new uh, class here recently. Uh, checking out some of their content. Make sure to go by foamfrat.com and see all of their stuff and uh, see what they have to offer. Great content, very interesting, relevant, uh, cutting edge on some of the topics. So all good stuff. Bradley Dean, it's time to get started with this week's episode. And you have something off the beaten path. Yes. And, and, you know, it used to be that's where we would find all this stuff was, you know, off the beaten path. Uh, People used to, you know, be caught growing the stuff out in the woods and fields and, you know, trying to hide it. But it's become a little bit more prevalent. So let's talk a little bit about uh, marijuana and cannabis, as some people like to call it. NEMS. NEMS. So full disclosure. I will say that I do own stock in a couple of companies that deal with cannabis. Um, I bought them when they were penny stocks, but as soon as I hit 420, I'm out. No, oh, I love it. Yeah. So um, you never know when you're no. going to get some financial advice here on the EMS handoff. We cover all things EMS. So, uh, so I'm glad you guys caught that. But no, seriously, uh, cannabis is is probably the most widely used illicit drug in the United States. Um, in doing some research and looking at stuff, we know that lots of places across the United States are starting to legalize cannabis within their states. Uh, you know, but I think it's important to point out that even though it's legal inside the state, it's still illegal federally, um, you know, under the Controlled Substance Act of, of 1970. But when we look at people and, and Looking at the research, there's a lifetime prevalence of use of about 42 to 46 percent. So, you know, almost one out of every two people that you encounter have at some point used marijuana. Now, I'm not going to ask you guys to disclose, but the, you do know the, how to puff puff pass. So I have to I have to say this. Uh, you know, I haven't used one of these references in quite a while. My wife knows exactly where I'm going, uh, but. Uh, uh, there, there was a episode of the West Wing and that in which uh, somebody uh, accused White House staff one of three uh, in the White House were on some sort of illegal drugs, and so they got into a meeting with the senior staff, chief of staff, deputy chief of staff, communications director, press secretary, etc. He goes to the five of us that are in the room. Uh, with that, I said, of the five percent of the people in this room. There are two of you that are against stone. I want to know when you're going to start sharing, but that may not be the best thing, especially in our profession. <laughs> right. And even though it's a, you know, considered a schedule one substance under the controlled substance act of 1970, um, the medical use is legal with a doctor's recommendation in 36 States. And I'm not going to go through naming all the 36 States, but uh, there, there was an amendment that prohibits federal prosecution of individuals that are complying with, with state medical cannabis laws. So whether we want to, you know, face it as EMS providers or, or whatever, we are going to encounter individuals across this country who are using cannabis legally for medical purposes. And, and I'm sure that, you know, places like Colorado 
um, New York and other places are already encountering those individuals. And in some cases, maybe even encountering individuals that, that have other medical problems that are actually caused by either overindulgence or increased use of, of THC. But you know, I think it's also important that we point out CBD is being used probably more widely than you know cannabis that contains THC. Well, and I think this is a really good point. And before we move on to CBD, there's one thing that I do want to to take into account there, uh, because a lot of us know states that are close to us, maybe even bordering to us. And because the state may consider it legal, because it is still considered illegal, uh, again, unless you're talking about those uh, medicinal properties, and even then, um, it can't be transported into a state in which it's not legal because of that federal uh, ramification. So, uh, the transportation of it into an illegal state uh, constitutes a crime as well. So, you know, I, I can tell you it, it's not legal in North Carolina, uh, but it was, it's really been decriminalized uh, for lack of, you know, better terms. You know, is, is it legal in, in Tennessee? It is not legal in Tennessee. No, sir. We do not have. We are. We are below the Mason Dixon line. We have Bibles. We have belts and iced tea, sweet tea, not unsweet tea. Um, <laughs> Coke, not Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. That's what Rhonda said. Coke, not Pepsi. We don't. We don't do that weed stuff here, sir. Uh, so you you mentioned sweet tea. So yeah, I, I like unsweetened tea. So it was it was a welcome reprieve when I got to New York and was able to order tea and didn't have to go. I want unsweet tea. Well, you know, you are one of those strange individuals. Uh, you know, we, we occasionally we may have to renegotiate our contracts here and uh, see which one of us uh, kicks off at the end of the year. No, just kidding. <laughs> you guys are getting contracts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but as you were going on to, I think the uh, next part is uh, probably one of the bigger things. Uh, the expansion of CBD into the market and uh you know i think for ems providers that's where we really have to deal you know marijuana has, has been out there but because of the efforts against it and the laws that are against it in so many places cbd has come out fairly um i, I shouldn't say well fairly unregulated you know one of the big things about cbd is the fda doesn't regulate it um, the idea is that as long as it's under 0.3, I think it's milligrams of or micrograms, I can't remember the dosing, uh, of THC, then it's legal in a lot of places. Only problem is because the FDA doesn't regulate it, there's no testing on it. And so, so you get some individuals out there that says 100% THC free, but it's kind of one of those things almost like non-alcoholic beer. If you take a look at that label for non-alcoholic beer, there's still... 0.11% alcohol. It's, it's almost all gone, but, uh, you know, there's still something that is there. Right. And, and the other part of that is the metabolites, you know, so some people still can have an issue and show up as positive, um, on, on drug screens and drug tests. And that's, uh, and that, that's one of the reasons why this episode is, is pretty timely. And I'm going to bring this message and it, uh, we, we recently had our state EMS board meeting 
um, it was in September, the end of September. And uh, the board had invited the medical director of our uh, professional assistance program that deals with anybody that has a failing drug test, basically, uh, alcohol or drug test. And the main reason that they invited them was because of a substantial increase in the number of cases of uh, positive drug screens associated with THC, in which um, they the individuals come back and said, "Oh, I'm I'm taking a CBD supplement. I take CBD drinks, or I use the CBD creams that are supposed to help relieve pain." And I did not realize that it could come up to cause a negative drug screen. And ultimately, that medical director said, as you just did, the metabolites associated with CBD use uh, are the same as that of THC. It's just going to be the difference in the levels in which uh, show up on the person. And the problem with that is it could be very similar to marijuana use within a couple of days in which those metabolites have started to come out of the system. Uh, and so there's really no way to tell whether it's just marijuana use from a couple of days or if it's CBD use. Yeah. So I think it's important that we probably talk a little bit about the pathophysiology since you've kind of dove into that. So our, our brain and our body is, is very, very clever. So a lot of people say, well, you know, marijuana is, is natural. It comes from a plant. Just because something is natural doesn't mean it's safe. Because there are lots of things that are out there, you know, but we get opiate from a, from a plant. And just because it comes from a plant doesn't mean that it's safe. Uh, and when we start looking at the levels, you know, our, our body has an endocannabinoid system. And that endocannabinoid system is designed to respond to the environment just like the fight or flight system is. So basically what happens is, is before we're born, that, that endocannabinoid system is important for uh, development, you know, synaptogenesis. So it's important in making the connections for the synapses in our brains uh, but it's also important for synaptic pruning. So, you know, if the connections are weak or anything else, it, it causes those connections to break and things to atrophy and go away. And our body, you know, produces natural endocannabinoids that allows us to, to do certain things. And like, for example, appetite, which, which is one of the reasons when people have marijuana, you know, and they get the munchies afterwards. So our natural endocannabinoid system, you know, helps control our appetite, you know, exercise, stress, you know, the time of day causes a different, you know, release of those endocannabinoids. Uh, it also works with pain relief. Uh, a prime example of that would be you've got a kid that, that's running on the playground and falls, scrapes up their knees or hurts their knees. Uh, what, what's mom going to do when she scoops that kid up? Mom's going to hold the kid, kiss it, and make it better, right? Well, that, you know, basically they're releasing, uh, you know, incophalins, which are, are very similar and, and affect the endocannabinoid system. And that's how our body functions because those endocannabinoids act on the CB receptors that are in our body. Uh, 
stress, you know, cortisol increases and endocannabinoids are, are released. So what, what starts to happen when we have cortisol released, we have endocannabinoids that, that get released. And the first time that that happens, they're, they're released at almost the same rate. The second time that it happens, the cortisol goes, goes down and the endocannabinoids actually rise above that. So that whole thing in the military, we start talking about, you know, uh, stress inoculation. You know, you go out and you do things under live fire conditions. And the more you do that, the stress goes down, the endocannabinoids goes up, which allows us to function in combat environments with, you know, there's still the stress, there's still the cortisol, but those endocannabinoids um, are what our body starts getting used to and, and having present, which allows us to be able to do everything else that we do. Now, I've said all that into the path of, you know, as part of the pathophysiology to say, well, that's also part of the reason when people leave those environments and continual stressors, you know, stress makes them feel good or they can't function without stress, looking for other things to replace it. And the other thing that replaces it, cannabis. And the problem is, is once people start using cannabis, their body looks for that continual release or that continual, you know, cannaboid to be present. And when that happens, um, their natural endocannabinoids go down. So sometimes people have to continue using more and more, uh, which is why we often find veterans, um, people who've had, you know, traumatic incidents that get uh, addicted to marijuana. Well, and actually you brought up a good point. You bring up a good point about that. Cause one of the, now I'm an ignorant guy coming in about marijuana. What I have learned about marijuana had been two things, whatever I got from paramedic school back in 2004 and Bonnaroo. So those are the only two places. Bonnaroo is a music festival that I used to work at. Um, people who are listening to this who've been there before know what I'm talking about. So one of the big arguments, though, I've heard from students before, from, from patients and stuff, has been, well, this stuff does isn't addictive. And I guess when you're talking about, like, an alcohol or narcotic, are you talking about that on the spectrum, on the scale of addictiveness? Well, I, so when, you're, when your natural endocannabinoids, you know, start to go down and they're replaced by uh, THC and CBD, but uh, primarily THC is what we're looking at talking about here, then your body looks for that. Um, and then it's going to get those endocannabinoids, you know, one of two ways, either you're going to get THC, which then competes and, and binds to the CV receptors, or uh, you're going to go out and look for something uh, to replace that. And, and the best way to do that is put yourself in a stressful situation. Uh, and that stressful situation might be, you know, you know, fighting someone or doing something or, you know, looking for those um, highs that you normally get from the cannabinoids. So there are addictive properties to it that are not this, that it doesn't function exactly the same as, as an opiate or alcohol, but it does cause the dopamine release as well as the, the um, binding to the cannabinoids. Well, this is, uh, you know, as, as I was going through and getting ready today, one of the things that uh, I pulled up is a, it's a medical news today. And it's, it's basically going over some of the uh, study st or some of the uh, materials that are out there. And this is from September of 2022. 
one of the things that it talks about is that, you know, a lot of people are like cannabis doesn't have the same addictive properties. And some of the things that we have, that they have seen is that in some individuals it actually does. And one of the things they mentioned when it comes to CBD specifically is the long-term effects uh, in which we get into some of those addiction, addictive properties. Um, it, it, this is its specific statement. However, research into long-term effects of CBD uses is still in its early stages. So, you know, it's one of those things that it's not been around. And, you know, if we kind of take a look at how things were, uh, you know, heroin at one point in time was a uh, medication that was actually prescribed by physicians and such until they got into some more of the long-term studies and saw uh, some of the harmful properties uh, that it does. And, and, you know, a lot of things come up and we see those changes. And while in the short term, we may see something along pain relief or stress relief or, you know, some of these other things. Um, uh, it's, it's not until we start to see how things start to turn about after uh, long-term use as to whether they do have those properties. And again, you know, when we take a, take a look at this, when we talk about some of the medicinal uses, you know, those are under very specific uh, circumstances and, uh, you know, those are, are monitored and take a look with CBD itself. Again, it's not FDA regulated. Just in our town itself, you can buy it in just about any place, including a fish shop, um, some tobacco sales places, convenience stores. Uh, and, you know, so a lot of people think, oh, they're there. So it automatically must be safe and it must not have these addictive properties. But again, you get into some of these individuals with the brain chemistry that they do, and you are going to have some negative effects. Yeah. And like, like I said before, you know, just because something's natural and found in a plant doesn't mean that it's safe. Um, and we know that there are some accepted medical uses for, for cannabis, and, and that's why it's being prescribed to some individuals. The problem that we get into is, like you said, with the CBD not being regulated, I mean, there's more research actually on THC than there is CBD. Um, but the, the whole part of this is people may use THC, you know, illicitly or whether they're using it for medical purposes. And, and most of the time they're, they're smoking it, you know, whether it's, you know, rolling the joint and they smoke it or they're using a bong or, or something else. The problem is, is when they go out here and they find the, uh, the brownie or the edible that has it in it. So now they eat that, you know, 20 minutes later, you know, they don't feel the effects of it. So what are they going to do? They're going to eat the second one. Well, now that they've eaten the second one, the, the first one, they're starting to absorb because they don't understand how it gets absorbed, you know, from the stomach and the GI tract versus the way that it, you know, happens when they smoke it. So now we're dealing with people uh, occasionally who have higher levels and, and they get sick. We know the antimetic properties of cannabis are, you know, they work, but the less well-recognized is the paradoxical po uh, potential for chronic users to develop hyperemesis. So, you know, it, I actually have a little bit of a, a case study uh, from a 33-year-old that I had. And unfortunately, you know, he had a history of P uh, PTSD, hypertension, 
you know, gastroesophageal reflux disease. But when we got him, you know, we went there because he had some intractable vomiting and it began with no precipitating factor. Uh, it was bilious, but it was non-bloody. Uh, it was happening up to six times an hour and had been happening for the last, you know, day, uh, actually a couple of days. And I, he had uh, abdominal pain, lightheadedness, and all that was probably due to the dehydration. Um, had had any changes in, you know, sick contacts or anything else. He had had some similar episodes over the past few years, but those kind of, you know, subsided. Um, usually they were centered around some life stressors and a couple other things. He'd been to the physician, been to his doctor, been to the hospital, and he was diagnosed with uh, cyclic vomiting syndrome. But there was something interesting um, that triggered me to ask him a couple of questions. So I asked him, I said, look, man, you, you told me just a minute ago that you used marijuana for um, PTSD. Have you increased your use recently? And he admitted that while he had just used it intermittently, you know, like one or two days a week, that he had escalated to daily use. And I said, all right, have you felt better? Do you feel better with uh, taking a shower? And he said, man, if I get into a hot bath or a hot shower, as hot as I can stand it, it makes me feel better. It seems to wash away my nausea. And that is a classic thing that you will find with individuals that have uh, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. So, you know, if, if you're finding individuals that have that, you know, that probably is, the, the problem is, is THC gets absorbed into adipose tissue and slowly gets released. So his, his levels had gone up significantly and that was what was actually making him sick. It was a paradoxical thing. So I think one of the big things as we talk about this, that we really should get into, um, and granted, this is not legal advice. None of us here are lawyers and we're certainly not the lawyers of our listeners that are out there. Uh, you know, even with the fact that, um, there are many states, as you mentioned, medically as well. EMS services do have the ability, uh, because we're out there operating motor vehicles, we are out there treating patients to write their own policies and protocols that would limit this use as well. So everybody needs to, in this profession, needs to take a look at what is going on in their region and making sure that if they get into the realm of utilizing a product like this, this may have significant ramifications on their ability to continue to practice emergency medicine within the States that they operate. Yeah. So let's say the two of you encountered um, a patient similar to what I just talked about. How would you treat uh, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome? Cause you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I'm a sympathetic puker. Yeah, I don't like anybody, you know, vomiting in the back of my truck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and this is, again, me not knowing anything about this syndrome. Um, I guess I would just do the typical stuff, which is uh, try some Zofran or even a Zofran drip. 
throw it in with some fluids over time. I found that that works pretty well. Um, I don't know if there's going to be some interactions with that. Uh, if I have Finnergan, which a lot of our trucks have taken that off, but yeah, I trust some Zofran. Maybe some Benadryl. All right. So those were my thoughts as well. But something told me that, hey, wait a minute, there's, there has to be something with THC and serotonin. And, you know, Zofran is a, a 5-HTC3 receptor site um, and deals with, with serotonin. So I decided I was going to get on the, the line with medical control. And guess what they wanted me to do? Hmm. Oh, no, this... Something that I, I would not have even thought about, but it makes sense when you sit back and you look at the pharmacology of it. Five milligrams of hal, um, haloperidol. Haloperidol? Yeah. Oh. Five milligrams of haloperidol. Oh, wow. I would have never thought about that. Okay. So what was the... Can you review us on that, on the, on the pharmacological intervention? Because I would have never thought that either. So, you know, there, there's, and well, without getting it, you know, too deep. Um, so THC triggers release of, of acetylcholine and uh, norepinephrine, dopamine, and basically it produces that paradoxical, you know, emetic response. And there's the whole thing with that is, is the way the how it all works, it works to suppress all that. And it makes the nausea go away the same, you know, just like the individuals getting in the hot bath. Um, and and it, it's really interesting to, to sit back and I'm, I'm actually going to try to send you some, some notes on that. Yeah. Cause I found that's a pretty interesting case study. This is now, I like going into the weeds on this stuff. Eh, get it. All right. So I'll just go with that. <laughs> um, because, um, you know, I work at a, I work uh, part-time at a, at an urgent care clinic for pediatrics. So a lot of the stuff, 90% of the stuff we see is typical everyday stuff. And you got to remember EMS, that is not what we're seeing. Most of what we're seeing is the, the, the weird stuff, um, especially if you're a black cloud out there or something. So this isn't like one off. This is really good information. Again, before anybody decides, hey, I'm going to try this on my next um, vomiting patient with weed, with, with weed ingestion or something like that in the past few hours, you need to, co to contact your medical control first. But I think that's profoundly interesting that you found this in that case study. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and I mean, so the whole thing with, with how is it actually binds to the, the CB1 receptor site, which is where THC wants to bind. So as the THC is being released, it competitively binds, making the, the, the nausea go away. Well, that's, I, I you know, looking at a, uh, uh, review from Cedar Sinai. That's one of the things that prescribe medications that help you, that help calm you down. Uh, benzodiazepines, along with some PPIs, as far as that stomach inflammation, and it actually makes mention because the frequent hot showers are something that's in here. Uh, but it also makes mention um, rubbing capsaicin cream on the belly. 
because it has a very similar or uh, uh, it has a similar effect as those hot showers. So if you can't put them in a hot shower, uh, but not many times do we carry that uh, on the trucks. So yeah, yeah just carry okay. them with mace. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't do that either. <laughs> Sounds a good medical advice on this show tonight, guys. We could say it's a you know the topic. It's a highly enlightening, um, but we've got guys. We've got we've got like three solidly good titles so far. So far, Puff Puff Pass is my favorite. But yeah, that's beside the point. So um, or, or I like we, that. Read I, I the like, people. We yeah, but that, I wasn't going to say that because I think that that's the name of your presentation. So I wasn't going to abscond. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting to, to look at it, you know, and in, in talking with physicians and a couple other things, yeah, one of the other things that, that has presented to one of our local EDs was cannabis induced pneumomediastinum. Um, basically they had a 17 year old that no past medical history that had a night out with his friends and, uh, basically he took the whole thing of uh, inhale to a whole new level, uh, basically. And, and for whatever reason, it caused some of rupture and subcutaneous air to enter the, the, the chest cavity. So he had some sub-Q air up around his uh, clavicles and he had a pneumomediastinum simply from, uh, from that. And sometimes I'll call it bong lung. So... That would be uh, sorry. As soon as you said that, I kind of pulled one up and, and kind of taking a, a look at a, a study as well. Uh, so, because I had never heard of that myself. So, yeah, these are these are interesting. Like, um, and I think we get uh, confirmation bias a lot of times because if you're listening to this podcast, like I've never, cause I've never come across people with these conditions and stuff. And I, and I gotta say like, even in my, in my history on the truck and stuff, I don't remember it, but I've, I've come across intoxicated people who have no problems with alcohol, weed and all that stuff. Um, and I never thought maybe the connection between their current presentation and the medications that they were on. Cause we've learned so much about it. Cause I mean, I've always heard that marijuana was a pretty benign medication. That was a pretty benign drug with very low side effects. Um, Pausal rates, not bad. Um, Addictive rates, so low. Uh, Those are the arguments that I kept hearing. But I guess as we're finding out more and more about the, you know, chemical structure and what it's actually doing to our bodies, we're finding out it's a little bit more nefarious than benign. Well, I mean, anything with overindulgence, you know, can pose a problem yeah and that's i think that's the issue well i mean yeah i mean we're also living in a very strange world right where our brains were never meant to task switch or deal with the with common stress loads the way that we're dealing with them i mean look at facebook feeds and tiktok 
Um, our brains were never meant to handle that kind of stress load early in the day, throughout the day. Within 30 minutes, you're getting, um, what, hundreds of different tasks that you're switching between on and off. We're messing with our chemicals in our brain all the time. And when I was looking at the history of marijuana and cannabis, it ain't the same stuff that they were growing back in the 1600s when colonial um, West Virginians were being forced, farmers were being forced to, to grow it. The stuff that they got today is way more powerful, as I'm sure some of our friends in the Border Patrol along the Texas border can attest to. Well, yeah, I mean, anytime that you you cultivate something, I mean, corn, for example, you know, the, the corn has changed over the last, you know, 20 years. And we do a lot of research with with different types of corn around here for, you know, that thrive in drought-ridden environments. So anytime that you take something and you you continue to tweak, you know, that particular plant, you know, it, it's going to change uh, over time. Yeah, and not to mention um, the way that they're ingesting stuff like um, polypharmacy. We're not taking into account other medications that people are on or stuff that it's maybe right. even being laced. And I think that's something that um, we're gonna be seeing a lot more of. I mean, I mean, we live, we, we live and see it here in the Tennessee area. It is connected to human and, uh, human and sex trafficking by and large. Um, there's all sorts of uh, really bad issues, uh, gang related issues, economically board driven issues. Uh, behind its use, but that's not always the places where you'll find it either. Um, the days of kind of like characterizing uh, people who take routinely weed all the time are not what we would think. Like it can be anybody. And a lot of times they don't want to tell you until they're in the back of the bus and they know it's safe to tell a healthcare worker and not somebody, not, a, you know, a police who's walking by and hears it. Yeah. And, and 42 to 46% of people have had or, or have used, you know, marijuana and, and you may be picking up an individual that this is their first time that they've had it and they're, you know, having a problem, or maybe they use it recreationally and they are increasing their use of it. Well, as we wrap up tonight, guys, let's go ahead and give our last thoughts and, and not only to, uh, EMS providers as far as use, but their treatment, if they were to uh, ex uh, experience some of these things that we talked about tonight. Well, one of the things I would say is, you know, first of all, follow your local, you know, policies, protocols, and procedures uh, when you encounter these patients, um, if you do. The other part of that is, is, you know, talk to your medical director. If they want to put it, you know, particular uh, protocol in place for, you know, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome or some of the other stuff that you start to see uh, as you encounter this, then, you know, do that. I would encourage you to talk to your medical director and, and develop those protocols um, and educate yourself on, on the potential issues that you may run into and what patients might be using medical cannabis for. Uh, so with that, I will pass it over to Eric. Um, this is still a substance abuse issue. Um, I'm always an advocate for our professionals, their families, their friends, and their mentality. 
Um, if you're having an issue or you're dealing with friends and family, you need to understand this is a substance. This is, this is a controlled substance, um, regardless of why you use it, how it helps you or whatever. The fact is, if you're having to use it, there's a bigger issue going on. And you need to get that sorted out. Uh, find some help, get some help, find, um, find a helpful resources, throw them on an index card, throw some tape around it. This way you can give it to your patients and be like, Hey, listen, I know we're going to the hospital for your cardiac condition, but I see that you're, you're using, you might want to, you know, talk to somebody, here's some resources. That might be a really good way to kind of help our community in a real way without being too judgy. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take on something that, uh, Bradley said there and, one of the things as a lot of these topics start to come up because of the fact that CBD is becoming readily available. And so uh, if you see some of the stuff in your area, not only work with your uh, local protocols, but if there's not a protocol in place, take the opportunity as a provider that's out there to do the research for your area, write up some information and then take it to your leadership to write and be involved with that policy development as well. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that, we're always looking for individuals uh, to step up. And uh, obviously with a protocol such as this, we want to make sure and uh, get details to so take the opportunity to research, find out yourself, uh, and then write it in a way that will help you and your uh, peers uh, go through the information. But as an individual provider that's looking to utilize some of this, one of the things I've experienced in talking to individuals uh, around us, some of the reasons that they have gotten into um, some of the positions they're in, whether it's a, 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 a gummy or, you know, some of the edibles and stuff like that and, and CBD, et cetera. A lot of them are utilizing very similar to the alcohol um, in that they're using it to mask some of the stuff that we see. And what I'm going to get into here is just uh, instead of looking to go that route, find somebody to talk to. Um, we, we've had a couple of resources that are on here that have uh, gone to the mental health side. But one of the things that we have strongly adv advocated for here is not going to the self-treatment, self-diagnosis, uh, self self-treatment side, uh, but finding somebody to talk to, whether it's a colleague, a peer, a friend, family member, or even a, a trained counselor. Uh, there are plenty of resources that are out there, and it's much better to go that route than finding yourself in front of uh, one of the state boards across the state, across the state, across the country, that uh, is having a conversation at the moment about taking your license, uh, which is going to take your livelihood. Um, and we're seeing so many of these. Um, there are cases going across our state's uh, EMS boards, uh, uh, general counsel's desk on a regular basis where all of this is starting to affect. So if it's one of you, one of these um, for you, uh, take the opportunity to slow down, go have a conversation. Know that just by saying, hey, I, I ingested uh, or I, I took or I had a cream with CBD in it and didn't think it was going to uh, show up on a drug test, um, know that it will. Uh, and then it has a uh, possibility of, adversely affecting you when you talk about athletes uh, in the nfl the nba uh fitness world uh if you come up with a positive drug test um you're going to seek a ban um and it really doesn't matter though you know you get into the unregulated supplement market and there's some places that do some nefarious things 
but you are responsible for what gets put into your body. And if it hits one of those performance enhancing sides, uh, it's going to have significant impact. And we've, we've seen that all the way from a local competitor up to uh, national competitors. And, uh, you know, it's the same for our profession when it comes to CBD. So uh, a lot from me there, but uh, we we always like to end our episodes. We'd like to, uh, for personally, I'd like to thank Bradley for bringing this conversation because I think it's really timely with the environment that we're at, both as providers um, and as our individual selves. Uh, so definitely thank him for coming and, and Eric and Bradley both for the good conversation tonight. But uh, we also like to do these episodes uh, for your all's edification as well. So knowing what each one of you think is uh, important to us. So don't hesitate to reach out to us, whether you use our Facebook group, our EMS Handoff Facebook group, whether you catch us through our website at emshandoff.com. Make sure to come by and visit. Give us a, uh, a, a thought. Let us know what you're thinking. If you have topics, guest suggestions, let us know. Uh, we always like to hear what you all have to say. So make sure and go to those. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on our YouTube channel as well if you're watching this on video. Uh, if you're listening on audio, you can also check us out uh, on the EMS Handoff YouTube channel. All of our episodes going back for uh, since I think about episode 14. Uh, has been on YouTube as well. So you can check us out there. Don't forget to go and support us through the EMS handoff merchandise line at the Pursuit Company, thepursuitco.com. And uh, check out our friends as well as Foam Frat. Give those one more shout out, Tyler and his team uh, over there doing great things. And for gyms, everything they do, they like to support us. And uh, we'll see how things go. So from now on, take care, stay safe, and always remember the value of your EMS handoff. <laughs>